Two Sons, a Father, and a Parable. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. It's so good of you to join us again today for another episode of Bible, Glitter, and Glue. David, we have a parable. A parable of a prodigal son is the famous title for this parable. Although the word prodigal's not even used in the text, Jesus didn't say the word prodigal. It's something we're very familiar with. The idea of something being lost. In this case, it's a son. As far as the father's concerned, there is a son that's lost to him and may never come home, but the son comes back, the prodigal. What a beautiful story. And as parents, I think we all relate to this and love this idea of a child coming back home. Mary, it's also the longest parable. Why don't you give us an outline of the parable and doing that, you can summarize. Okay, well, well, it's It's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. I've got five points. First, the father divides his property between his two sons at the youngest son's request. The second point is that son moved away, squandered the money, and lived a degraded life. And then the third point is the son comes to his senses. He's humbled All he can think to do is go back home, not really as a son, but more like a servant. He's going to grovel. And then the fourth point, the beautiful thing is the father sees him coming. He's always wanted him to come home. There's a reunion. There's acceptance. There's a celebration. And in a way, you could stop the parable right there. But there's another point, because there were two sons. That land was divided between two sons. So the last point is the older brother's perspective. Wow, there's a lot going on. There sure is. The parable is actually about two lost sons. There's a lost son in the far country, but also a lost son that never left the family farm. So the parable is about two sons, a younger, foolish, self-centered son, and an older, self-righteous, and ungrateful son. One is immature. The other is jealous. This parable is loved and well-known. I'm faced with the question, is this parable more about the prodigal son, the younger son, or is it more about the older son, or is it more about the father? Where's the focus? And maybe it's all. The parable begins with the younger son, and it centers on him, his journey away from home and back home again. And then the parable ends with the spotlight on the older brother. But it leaves me with the hanging question, How is the older brother going to respond after the father pleads with him? Will he eventually join in the celebration or not? That's the unknown. And what's life like a year later, five years later? That's a good story when you keep thinking about it. But, you know, the one character that is central all through the parable, the beginning, middle, and end, is the father. And it was just in our discussion yesterday, Mary, that You help me see that this father is not just a loving father to the younger son, but he wants to be a loving father to the older son as well. He is father to both of his sons. 
And that's so personable. As Jesus is telling this parable to people back then, I I can't help but think that they would see it just as meaningful as we would today. We're familiar with the family situation. We have sons, grown sons now, and and you want what's best for all of them. And they all have their individualities, their their own unique perspectives on life, and, and you just want all of them to have success in life, to love God. That's so right. The parable begins with the focus on the younger son. And there's several things in this parable that describe the younger son. It says in verse 12, the younger son approaches the father and says, give me my share of the property. He didn't ask for it. He actually demands it. My property. Really, it wasn't his property yet, because his father was still alive. There's no inheritance until the father is passed away. That's right. So his demand of his future inheritance is unheard of, because the inheritance were received, like you said, after the father dies. So the son was being so disrespectful and so dishonoring of his father, it was as if he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Wow. But the father gives him what he asked for and sends him on his way. Well, he actually divides the property. So he doesn't forget that older son even in this first part. He divides between the two sons. So I'm getting this idea, maybe equal share. I'm not sure. But the one son takes all of that and goes, and the older stays. So he leaves. The younger son leaves, and it says he goes away to another country. A far country. Or a distant country, as some versions read. He's going away about as far as he can go from home. He just wants to get away. And probably implies leaving the Holy Land and going out into the the pagan world, the Gentile world. And he lives a very pagan life, it sounds like. That money brings friends and lavish living. But when the money's gone, the friends are gone. Right. As they say, fair weather friends. Right. He indulges his appetites, wine, women, and song, but no planning for tomorrow, just living for the moment. He's being very, very foolish. And then disaster strikes. That's right. The consequence of that is no money, not even food or a place to live. He does the only thing that he can do. He makes himself like a servant. He goes and works for someone and not just anyone, but someone who is a pig farmer who raises pigs. And a Jew would shudder at that thought, being around the pigs all the time. This is unclean. This is the lowest of the low. Jesus knows how to tell a parable where everyone is gasping, thinking, oh my, this young man has gone to the bottom of the pit. So this is a story from Riches to rags, the son who had everything, lost it all. And no one felt sorry for him. He was just on his own. He's experiencing the ultimate humiliation. And so he's out there feeding pigs, hungry. And then verse 17 is the turning point in the parable. Yeah, I love it. In I use the International Children's Bible when I'm teaching Bible class. In verse 17, it says the son realized that he had been very foolish. He thought 
all of my father's servants live better than this. I'm thinking those two words, how important they were, realized and thought. These are two things he hadn't done before. (laughs) That's a good point. So this is the turning point in the whole parable for him. And even though he doesn't know it yet, this is the moment of his redemption. This is the moment of the reversal of his fortunes and his future. He's waking up. I relate to that idea of, you know, we may have had wrong thinking about something for a very long time, but the light comes on. All of a sudden, we see what's real. We see reality. And he saw that in a very big way. When you're flat on your back, the only place you can look is up. I love what happens next. When he realizes, when he thinks, he thinks home. As bad as everything is, as much as he's messed up, this son's mind goes back home. He starts thinking about his father and maybe how his father treated servants, maybe how the servants at his father's home had a better life than he has right now. He grew up as a son, but at this point, he's messed up so much Even just being a servant of his father would be a better life. So he starts thinking in that vein. Yeah, he decides to go home. I mean, he had nowhere else to go at this point. And the father was not obligated to take him back at all because he had committed the ultimate sin. He had dishonored his father and himself. The father was not obligated to accept him back. So here's his son. I have this picture in my mind, dragging his feet, walking towards home. Maybe he passed some of the servants in the field. I've got this picture of him just so humbly going to his father and thinking, what am I going to say? What's my father going to say? I hope he'll just let me be a servant here. I hope he can give me that much. But surprise, surprise. When he gets close to home, the father sees him a long way off, and he runs to meet him. And, you know, that implies that the father had been looking for him, for him to see his son coming down the road, coming home. He had been looking for him. I can just imagine him every day looking down the long path, hoping, hoping one day his son would return. And this is the day. And so he runs out to meet his son. And again, that's undignified. And that culture fathers did not run you didn't run that's just that's just undignified but he runs he throws his dignity out the window so he can run to his son what a reunion the son is thinking on the low the father might let him be a servant but no the father says my son has returned he celebrates. He doesn't care what the son has done at this point. He is overcome by the magnitude of his son who was dead to him is now alive. And he's welcoming. He puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on his finger. It says in verse 20 that he felt sorry for his son. And that word felt sorry for in other translations reads compassion. He had compassion. He was filled with compassion. And that's the key emotion in this parable. It's as if he knows what it must have taken for that son to come back. 
he knows that was a hard thing to do. I think he realizes, and when his son's approach is so humble and not asking anything of him, just asking, just just let me be your servant. That humility, that must have gone a long way with the father. He sees that heart. He's so happy to see his son, knowing that he celebrates. He, he has someone put a robe on him, a ring on his finger. The father wants to celebrate because the son he thought was dead is alive. Who would not celebrate that? Wow, that is more than his father could ever have dreamed or hoped for. And, you know, I'm just drawn to the father's actions toward his son. He runs to him. He embraces his son. He kisses his son. He puts a robe on him and a ring, and he tells the servants, let's celebrate. He treats him like royalty. He's just doing everything for the son. It's the celebration, but it's also the affection. That is a, a warm greeting, all that, that physical affection, the kiss, the, you know, it's, it's all so important. Who would not celebrate a moment like this? Well, who would not? So the parable takes another pivot, another turn. In verse 25, while they were celebrating, the older son is brought into the parable, and he gets close to the house, and he hears all this celebration going on, the music and everything. So he asked one of the servants, what's going on? What's happening here? You know, it's one of those sayings in here too, David, I want to just mention that you do hear because one of the ways they celebrated is he says he's going to kill the, some versions say kill the fatted calf. This children's versions kill the fat calf. (laughs) This idea of providing food for this celebration. That's a famous saying. I still hear that today. People will say, we're going to kill the fatted calf, meaning we're going to celebrate. The son, when he asks the other servants, he finds out that the younger son has returned and that they're celebrating. He doesn't even want to go inside. He has been, it says here, out in the field working. All in all, this is the dedicated, faithful son. He knows the other son is off in a far country. As far as he knows, that's what's been happening this whole time. He's taken on all the responsibility. He's working hard, and here he comes. And what are they doing? They're celebrating. They're making all this fuss over this prodigal son. He becomes angry. And in a way, lost. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he doesn't feel like a son. He doesn't probably appreciate his father, what's happening. He doesn't understand. He's angry and jealous. And he argues with his father. He's feeling all those feelings, but the father does not just stay at the feast. I love how the father runs out to that son as well. He's also undignified with that son. He goes out and he begs the son. That doesn't seem dignified either, does it, David? No. And he doesn't want the older son to miss out on the celebration. The older son sees himself just like a slave in his father's house. That's his view. That's what the younger son was willing to become. And that's what the older son sees himself as. And he even refers to his brother as your son. 
He doesn't even call him my brother. It's kind of sad, I think. The older son never believed that all the father had was his. He had his inheritance as well. The father would have done anything for him. And yet this is so believable. Because then as now, siblings have very complex relationships. Our children relate not just to us as parents, but they relate to each other. So there are a lot of family dynamics going on in this parable. And Jesus knows everybody understands that. The whole point is that someone was lost and is now found. So the father says, we had to celebrate because your brother was dead and is now alive. Lost and now found. And that's the point. The father listens to the son's point of view, but he also reminds the son that, son, you have everything I have. You have been faithful to me. He does value that son and what he's done. He's not ignoring it. He's saying that's true. But even though that's true, we have to celebrate because what was lost is now found. It was like your brother was dead and he's alive. We have to celebrate. As we look over the whole parable, and this is one of three parables in this chapter, and they're all about being lost and found. And if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, the parables come up because Jesus was being criticized for welcoming tax collectors and sinners and eating with them, of celebrating with them. And the religious leaders were the ones who were criticizing him. In the parable, in all of these parables, well, this, this parable, I think we can see that the father represents God. And the younger son represents these tax collectors and sinners that the religious leaders considered them on the outside and not worthy. So they were like the older brother. And the point is, Jesus says, they're coming to God and we need to celebrate. It doesn't matter what they had done in the past. They are coming back and I'm embracing them. It's almost a foreshadowing to me of what's to come as well. You know, the gospel is for all. Later on, we'll learn that the Gentiles are welcomed by God. And there's a lot of celebration because of the work that's later done to bring all of these unbelievers to God. And and yet the Jewish nation, the older brother, they're going to have to accept that. And they're going to be asked to reach beyond their feelings and accept and celebrate that coming home. Yeah. I think for me and for maybe many of you who are trying to be faithful to God, doing the right thing, it's easy to get the self-righteous spirit or attitude. And when some person from the world is wanting to come to God, we can have a standoffish attitude or we think, well, they're not worthy or they need to prove themselves first or something. But we miss the point. When someone comes to God, God makes fuss over them because that's who he is. He has compassion. He has love. That's what he's all about. He wants to embrace all people. And we should embrace and celebrate with them and not think about ourselves and compare ourselves to them. That brother was struggling with begrudging kind of service. And we have to be careful that we can actually rejoice, not just say, oh, well, I guess they can come to church, too, (laughs) but actually rejoice when someone turns to God. 
Well, Mary, there is so much in this parable. Isn't there? I'm sure you have a lot of ideas, creative ideas for helping children to relate to and to remember this parable. Uh, There's a lot of things you can do, but I do want to say one thing I think is really deep in this. Again, the master teacher, as he tells this parable, he talks about home and father. I think it's so important to make sure the children that I teach understand what it means to come home. They've got their life laid out in front of them. Their journeys will be unique. There'll be ups and downs. Some may even turn away from God. They may squander His love. They may live lives away from Him. But I want to make sure they know where home is. I want children to understand they can come back to God. God stands ready for us to come to Him. There's no mistake that we can make in life that God cannot forgive. There's no distance we can be from God that we can't think, I'm coming back to God. I think it's just that idea, not because we deserve it. This son did not deserve his father's love, but he humbled himself. He went back. He didn't go back expecting like he did in the first verse where he said, give it to me. It's mine. He came back in such humility. And I want children to know that. So I want to talk to them about that, just conversation and talking about the Father's love. So there's that deep part, but also I talk about glitter and glue. Well, there are a lot of fun things you can do. This idea of going far away and coming back, this is a fun time to put an obstacle course in the classroom. Children love to make up their own obstacle courses and get back home. See if they can get back home. That's a fun one to do. In this story, when the son was in the far country and he went and and he worked for that farmer, he got so hungry. That's how pitiful he was. He was so hungry, he started looking at that pig's food. He was taking care of pigs, and he he looked at the pig food, and he thought, oh, that looks kind of yummy. That looks like I could eat that. That's how hungry he was. It's fun in Bible class to talk about that. I've brought food scraps, started collecting them a week or more before my Bible class and letting them kind of get gross and rot and stinky and then keep them in a closed container. And then I'll open that up so the children can smell it. And we'll talk about how even that seemed good. That's how bad the sun was. That's how bad his situation was. There's some fun things to do in the class. But what about adults? This is a very serious parable. It is. Mary, I like your creative ideas with children because you bring in often the various senses we have. Adults, first of all, just in the class, get into groups, smaller groups, four, five, whatever. Read the parable in each group, and then just have a conversation about when you have felt like the younger brother and when you felt like the older brother, you know, what, you know, situations make you feel like the younger brother or what situations may have transpired to make you feel like the older brother. And how can you be like the father? What can you do to be more like the father? So those are some questions you can discuss in these small groups. Another thing is just brainstorm as a class how the congregation could be more welcoming to visitors, to outsiders that come in. 
What can the church do to be more welcoming and think outside the box? For instance, even in terms of the furniture in the church building, how is it arranged? Can you rearrange the furniture even to make outsiders feel more welcome? And do you have people designated to greet people coming into the door and to welcome them? So brainstorm how your congregation could be more welcoming to visitors. All that so brings in that compassion, too, that the father felt for the son. And it's thinking about how people might feel. What has it taken for them to get through those doors? That might have been a hard thing to come into a, a group of people that you don't know. So, so helping them feel at ease. And then the last thing here I want to suggest is that when someone comes to the Lord or when someone comes back to the Lord, throw a party, throw a party, make them yeah, feel really, truly welcome that you're glad they're back, that you have to celebrate because the father, he had to celebrate. This parable speaks to the heart, it speaks to the heart of the parent. It speaks to the heart of a son This idea of home, all those are so important, and it's important to us, but the Father sees that as important. He wants us to come home. He wants us to be home with Him. And I hope that that acceptance and that love that we have from God will help us love and accept the people that we teach. And may God bless you as you speak into the lives of adults and children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children. 